Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for another opportunity to hold our meeting today. We give you glory, we give you praise. We worship you, we honor you, we adore you. We magnify your name. I want to bless your name and thank you, Lord, for all that you have been doing in our lives, particularly as we have been studying the book of Haggai. As we come to the end of this book, we ask Almighty and Everlasting God that you speak to us and teach us yourself. Thank you, Everlasting Father. In Jesus' name, I have prayed. Amen. Haggai chapter 2, verse 20 to 23. Haggai chapter 2, verse 20 to 23. And again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and earth. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. Horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtel, says the Lord, and will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. May the Lord bless you of his word in Jesus' name. Amen. As we turn our attention to God's word to Zerubbabel through Haggai, the prophet, we have been able to get some understanding of what constitutes prophecy. And this is what we looked at the last time. We said, one, prophecy is God speaking directly or through a proxy, that is an angel or human representative to us. Secondly, prophecy is not only about the future, but also information about the past and even the present, that is revealing to us things we could never have known otherwise, not even from history books. For example, Genesis cannot be compared to any history book because Genesis is something that God could only have told the writer that is Moses. Moses was not even born when creation was made. And so God spoke through Moses the events in Genesis at the time that Moses was not even born at all. And so there was no way Moses could have known it except it was divinely revealed to him by God himself. Thirdly, said prophecy is speaking forth God's word, even though we may not understand what it means. And then we now said, fourthly, because of that, prophecy is also the teaching of God's word or giving the meaning of what God has said, which may not have been understood previously. So the fact that God said something somewhere and we didn't understand it does not mean that God would not interpret it somewhere later, maybe at a different point in time. So we have prophecy being the speaking forth of the word of God and also the giving of the meaning of the word of God, otherwise known as teaching. Finally, we said prophecy originates from God, not from the imagination, machination, or permutations of men. Prophecy is not something that you look at a crystal ball and say, oh, this is what will happen in the future. Prophecy is not something that you look at the environment and how things are looking and say, well, this is what will happen based on some permutations of things that has proceeded before. So since prophecy may not necessarily be understood, ours is to receive it as spoken and not try to give it our interpretation. Instead of trying to give prophecy our interpretation, we need to take time out to go and talk to God and trust him to expound that prophecy to us. He doesn't have to do it, but he could also do it. So interpretation belongs to God. Interpretation does not belong to man. That's why the Bible tells us in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 or so, that prophecy never came by the will of man. The Spirit of God was the one who brought forth prophecy through the prophets of old. In this meeting, we want to discuss the direction of prophecy. The direction of prophecy. The word spoken by God through Haggai 
was directed at Zerubbabel, yet it spoke of a time long after Zerubbabel's time. So we are looking at the direction of prophecy as in who is prophecy directed at and what does that hold for us? For us to get into this, I want to read Haggai chapter 2 verse 23 from the Amplified Version of the Bible. And it reads, In that day, says the Lord of hosts, will I take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheotel, says the Lord, and will make you, through the Messiah, your descendant, my signet ring, for I have chosen you as the one with whom to renew my covenant to David's line, says the Lord of hosts. So we see from the Amplified Version that though God was speaking to Zerubbabel, his word was directed at someone else and it was directed to that person at a time in the future. We see from the Amplified that even though God was speaking to Zerubbabel, he was actually speaking about the Messiah who was to come after Zerubbabel. He was speaking of the renewing of the covenant and we know that through the events that occurred in the New Testament. So if somebody had read Haggai in Haggai's time, in Zerubbabel's time, Zerubbabel himself could never have been able to fathom all of this. So we are getting the Amplified Translation because God has given that understanding, that interpretation based on events that we have seen in the New Testament after the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to expound and explain that this prophecy was actually directed at the Messiah rather than Zerubbabel. Thus, prophecy can be directed at a person or even location in three ways. One, it can be directed directly, that is a direct reference. It can be directed indirectly, that is an indirect reference. And thirdly, it can be directed at both, that is double reference. It can be directed at the person being spoken about and someone else. Or it can be directed at a location or something else that represents that location. When a prophecy is a direct reference, God is speaking to that person and telling them what he will do or is about to do in their lifetime. For example, in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, this is God speaking to Jeremiah. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. The almond tree signifies disciplining the nation. And God was saying, in your own time, I am going to perform this word. So the word was directed at Jeremiah and God was speaking that word directly at Jeremiah. That was a direct reference in prophecy. When a prophecy is an indirect reference, God is addressing the person as a representative of someone else, usually a descendant, as we see in this particular case when we read from the Amplified Version of the Bible. Now, for us to be able to get a grasp of this, I'm going to read Genesis chapter 15, verse 7, and then I'm going to read from verse 8 to verse 21. Then he, that is God, said to him, that is Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. So God was speaking to Abraham here and said, I've called you so that I will give you this land. Now, let's read from verse 8 to the end, and then we'll see something very interesting here. And he said, that is, Abraham said to God, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, 
a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them for four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed through those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gegashites, and the Jebusites. Now, God was speaking to Abraham, all right, but he was speaking to Abraham about what would happen in the future. So when God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you the land, Abraham may have thought that he was going to possess the land. But in reality, by the time God began to explain it to Abraham, because Abraham asked, how am I going to possess the land? There are people there. Am I going to push them out? I'm just one man and a handful of slaves. Am I going to begin to fight to get rid of them? And God began to explain to him that it's not going to be now. There's going to be a span of 400 years or so. Your descendants, in fact, will be enslaved in a particular place. Eventually, they will come out free with great possessions, and then they will come here and inherit the land. So even though God called the covenant with Abraham, which was an interesting covenant because it was a covenant between God and God, it was a smoking oven and a burning torch. That was God the Father and God the Son entering into a covenant similar to what we have in the New Testament, where the Father and the Son had that covenant together on the cross, and yet we are covered by that same covenant. So the covenant that God called with Abraham was a covenant that concerned not just Abraham, but his descendants also. So in a sense, that was an indirect reference. So like we said, when a prophecy is an indirect reference, God is addressing the person as a representative of someone else, usually a descendant or a spirit being, maybe a principality or the Lord Jesus Christ, like we saw in Haggai chapter 2 verse 23, where even though God was speaking to Zerubbabel, he was actually directing that prophecy to the Lord Jesus Christ when he would come as Messiah. Finally, the prophecy of double reference. When prophecy is a double reference, God's word is addressing the person directly and also another of a future time frame. Let's look at Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read verse 23 to 36. This was Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost after the Holy Spirit had fallen, a portion of it. Now, Peter is speaking here of the Lord Jesus Christ when he says, Him, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope 
For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. When you look at that portion of scripture, just to take a pause, you would think that David was speaking about what God had shown him for himself. But when we go further down in verse 29, Peter now explains this, gives us a better understanding and interpretation, a teaching as it were, which is also prophecy. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, not allowing the body to see corruption was not applicable to David. Even though it was spoken to David, it was not applicable to David. There was another person being spoken to. So there was David being spoken to directly, and there was someone else being spoken to indirectly what we call the prophecy of double reference. In verse 30 it says, Therefore, being a prophet, that is David, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Peter is here explaining that what David saw even though he could not explain it, he could not really give interpretation, he thought it was of himself, he declared it, yet he was speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ indirectly. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. In verse 33 it says, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Speaking about the Holy Spirit coming upon them. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So David's prophetic message was not just for David himself, up to a point, yes, it was for David, but beyond that point where it was impossible for him not to rot in the grave, it applied to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the evidence was clear in that Jesus was raised from the dead. His body indeed did not see corruption. And that is what we know about the law of double reference. In Second Samuel, speaking about this same law of double reference, God spoke to David when David wanted to build God a house. And God said, no, his son will build that house. But God then said, I will build your house. Let me read it. Second Samuel chapter 7 from verse 12 to verse 16. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. When God spoke these words through Nathan to David in Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 to 16 and beyond. God was actually speaking about the Messiah. Generally speaking, we call such passages of scripture messianic scripture because the reference, even though it's talking about one person and yet it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a messianic prophecy. There are other similar ones which I will encourage us to read at our own time. For example, 
in Isaiah chapter 14, God was speaking about Babylon. And yet, when you get to a portion, he begins to speak about someone else that is the devil. He speaks about Babylon, a great nation that is eventually destroyed. And then he now speaks about the devil. If you go to verse 12 of Isaiah chapter 14, read from verse 1, you will see how he talks about Babylon. But by verse 12, he says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. Now, in this particular passage of scripture, God is speaking to Babylon as a nation and is also speaking to Lucifer, the devil, and saying, in essence, that the devil and Babylon are linked together. And so he speaks about the fall of Babylon to a point and then rejects it onto the devil. So that is where we have the prophecy of double reference. So it is important to understand that because something has been said prophetically, it does not necessarily mean that it is about you or it is for you. It could actually be you representing a generation. It could be you representing a congregation. It could be you representing a time frame beyond your own time. And God is just speaking that word so that his word will be done. The Bible says he spoke and it was done. He spoke and it was established. He spoke and the earth stood firm. When God wants to do something, he speaks it because he wants it established. He wants it affirmed. He's affirming that this will definitely happen. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, Revelation 19, verse 10, John, the elder, was taken to heaven. Many things were revealed to him. On this occasion, an angel revealed certain things to him. And this is what he wrote in chapter 19, verse 10. He said, and I fell at his feet, that is the angel's feet, to worship him. But he, that is the angel, said to me, that is John, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The very essence of prophecy is to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. If prophecy does not culminate in the Lord Jesus Christ, then that prophecy is of doubtful origin. Let me read the Good News translation. It says, for the truth that Jesus revealed is what inspires the prophets. So prophecy is inspiration and it is from Christ and it is about Christ. It ultimately is about Christ. Any prophetic utterance that does not culminate in the Lord Jesus Christ must be discountenanced. The easy-to-read translation says, So worship God because the truth of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So the very essence of prophecy, the import of prophecy is about Christ, is about the fulfillment of that prophecy in Christ. The only way prophecy can be fulfilled is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not in anything else, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 61, I'll just read verse 1 to verse 3, and you'll see double reference taking place here. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn to console those who mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes the oil of joy for mourning the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they may be called trees of righteousness the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified now if we look at that particular passage of scripture and how it was applied in Luke chapter 4 
from verse 18, we are going to see something very interesting. In verse 17, the Bible says that is about Jesus Christ going to the synagogue on the day of the Sabbath. He said, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing what's it say this portion of scripture that i have read has come to pass in your hearing but you recall that when we read isaiah 61 1 to 3 it included other parts after to proclaim the assembly of the lord there were other things that came beauty for ashes and other things that would take place at the second coming of the lord jesus christ so we see in Isaiah 61, verse 1 to 3, the law of double reference taking place, where Isaiah was addressing something happening at a point in time and another at a future date. And that is what the Lord Jesus Christ came to accomplish when he began to speak about that. Then we know that, for example, when the Lord Jesus came the first time, he came as a savior. The second time he's coming, he's going to come as a judge. He's going to come as a warrior. He came as a deliverer the first time to save man. The second time he's coming to judge the whole world. So it's the same man, the same Jesus Christ. But he has two functions. One, a present function, which is a function of salvation, bringing men to the place of salvation. The second one is the time of judgment when he's going to come and judge all men. Those who accept his salvation today will be spared that judgment unto condemnation in the future. Those who reject his salvation today will be condemned by that judgment in the future. Essentially, therefore, what God was declaring to Zerubbabel through Haggai was all about Jesus Christ. It was not about Zerubbabel per se. Zerubbabel was the one sin, yet God was speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can say that it was a prophecy that was an indirect reference in the sense that we know that all that God said about Zerubbabel being a signet ring did not apply to Zerubbabel, but it applies to the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the signet ring, a symbol of authority being given to the Lord Jesus Christ in that he was able to cast out demons. He was able to do other things, but the final ultimate authority of the Lord Jesus Christ is when he sits as judge over all of mankind. Therefore, you and I should take to heart that whenever we come across prophecy, we must interrogate and investigate that prophecy to ask the simple question, what is it saying about the Lord Jesus Christ and about you and I? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, the Bible says, do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. So somebody has come and says, I have a prophetic word for you. Interrogate the prophecy. Take it to God in the place of prayer. Let God give you understanding. Let God tell you whether this is from him or not. That's the first thing. If it's not from God, discard it in its entirety. If it's from God, then you can press further and say, Lord, how does it apply to us? And as he spoke to Abraham, God could tell us, don't worry, you will go to your grave. It does not concern you. It's not about your generation. It's about a generation to come. It was the same thing that he did with Daniel when he spoke about the 70 weeks and Daniel was getting confused and God said to him, don't worry, you will go and be with your ancestors. This thing is for a future time. So there are times when you read in the Bible, this prophecy is not for this time, but make it plain so that the people of the future will read it and will take heart to it that this is going to happen at a different time frame. In conclusion, let me state this. The direction of prophecy could be direct, could be indirect, and could be double reference. 
It is therefore important that we do not just take prophecy hook, line, sinker. We must take prophecy back to God who has sent the prophecy. And God will affirm and confirm, number one, whether he sent the prophecy. Number two, whether the prophecy is directed at us or at someone else apart from us. Or if it's directed at both at us and a different person or at a different time frame. Let us pray. Eternal Rock of Ages, we want to thank you for giving us understanding of prophecy, particularly now about the direction of prophecy, that it is possible for you to speak directly to us, and yet it may not be about us. Also telling us that ultimately all prophecy is about Christ and is fulfilled only by Christ himself. Thank you so much because Lord, as you have opened our eyes, you will not allow us to be misled by the Antichrist and his many servants who are upon the face of the earth today. Thank you, everlasting Father. Blessed be your name, Lord. In Jesus' name I have prayed. Amen.